Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. And we're back with an all-new Keep It. I'm the former Duke of Sussex, Ira Madison III. I'm the total bitch vizier, Louis Bertel. I'm the Earl of... Wait, what's the woman for Earl? The Duchess. Really? Nope. No, that's... Countess. No. The Countess? <laughs> Earless. Okay, I'm the Countess of that ass, and you can just pick whoever. Probably the Adam Driver right now. I just want to say that it is crazy that the word Countess has been co-opted by Luann from... Housewives. And seemingly vampire culture? Yes. Counts and countesses? Countess. Mm. Uh, do they call female vampires countesses? Is there a Countess Chocula? <laughs> oh, I mean, you can sell that right in the room, I think. There's okay. a lack of. I Countess think. Chocula starring Rebel Wilson. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, oh, wait well. to, can't wait to watch it on Delta. There's a lack of women <laughs> in vampire representation. Yeah. yeah. Except for. Well, in like vicious vampire representation. Yeah. Um, you remember, of course, the movie Queen of the Damned. Of one of course. the one of the great movie posters of mm-hmm. all time. I don't know about movie. Uh, do you remember at the time? Aliyah. Yes, herself. At the time, Ricky Martin presented an award to Aliyah at the VMAs, mm-hmm. and he pronounced her name Aliyah. And then, of course, the next year she died. And literally, ever since then, every Stop. time I look at Ricky Martin, I think, now that's the Queen of the Damned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are, of course, talking about titles because update. Harry and Meghan gave up theirs. Apostrophe two zero Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also have given up my title. So You have to have one in the first place, which is important for this, I think? Um, I think that I was the doyen of the Tisch School of the Arts. We were just talking about how I use the word doyen too often, and now he is using it against me. Guys, it's a good word. <laughs> the lady in charge. You know how you say HBIC sometimes still? Doyen means that. <laughs> Do I say that? I'm just in general. I'm talking to the people out there, not just you. Well, some of our listeners probably do use it. No shade. Okay. <laughs> uh, so they are. So they're no longer highness and loyal, whatever. I think they kept their Duke of Sussex. Well, I mean, they have their company, Sussex Royale, which has to keep maintaining their income that they're going to get. So Sussex is still there. They're also going to be paying back the refurbishings of their Windsor home. Mm. Which reminds me of Aaron Schock and that office he got decked out. And then, of course, he got um, into all that trouble. <laughs> Has he paid that back yet? Who knows? I see him in West Hollywood all the time. He, so. he is really on a fresh stroll through West Hollywood. Yeah. Constantly at a bar, constantly at a warehouse party. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. He was there that week. Well, I saw him this weekend, too, guys. Anyway. Yeah. You talk to him? No, I sure did not. Your BFF? Was I, did I talk about it on this podcast one time? I went to my gym, and then he was there, but we were never like close to each other. And then John Favreau walked in. Wow! Mm. And we were all in a triangle of confusion. You guys stared at each other. So, uh, did anybody we, talk? John Favreau and I did exchange a look. I won't allege that Aaron was invited there by John Favreau, right. but it wouldn't surprise me. Oh yeah, no, because <laughs> I know who he is. <laughs> I've seen it up close and personal. Homophobic saboteur, John Favreau. <laughs> 
there's not really much else to say about Harry. And They've Meghan. done so much. If I get one more scene and notification about them, I'm going to throw my phone at a wall. Yeah. I mean, there is a suspense about what they're going to do with their lives, to me, still. Yeah. But I still don't think it's going to turn into anything super rad for a while. Well, they need to go to New York and see Tina the Musical, because that's what I saw First step. this weekend. What oh, is Tina the Musical? That? It's a Tina Turner musical oh, on Broadway. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I didn't realize it was called Tina. Yes. The Great Black Way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great. It is fantastic in every mm-hmm. way that Donna the Musical was not. Adrian Warren, who plays Tina, uh, recently returned to the show because she mm-hmm. had a uh, twisted ankle. Um, seems like all the girls are experiencing some Spider-Man things on Broadway because Isaac Cole Powell was just out of West Side Story too. Uh, yeah, and for a long time. Yeah, but um, she was performing in an ankle brace. Slayed. Ooh, get out. Slayed. Yeah. Wow, that seems like a triumphant moment on the Glee project. She went on anyway. Yeah, yeah. she's really fantastic. Wow, I, I think you would love it. Did they get into a lot of the solo Tina stuff? It, you better be good to me, mm-hmm. etc. It goes from her as a child up until Ike. What's love got to do with it? Um, is the end of Act One, and then it actually dives into that period when she was in Vegas and basically broke. And mm-hmm. before the solo comeback. Really? Yeah. Do they use a younger actress at the beginning of the musical? Uh, they, there's a child actress okay, cool. um, who plays uh, Tina and when she's anime. Yeah. But yeah, they really go into how she created her comeback. It sort of goes to the end with when she became the Tina that we know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the second act is really sort of how she gets there. And that's very interesting because I don't think we'd ever really seen that portrayed. There's a appearance by Phil Spector in the musical. Oh no! Yes, um, there's a someone who plays Phil, and they do the recording of River Deep Mountain High. Wow! Oh. Is he played real loopy? Sort of. Yeah. Mm. It was just weird seeing him in scenes and seeing the person playing Ike, who's also fantastic. Just knowing that. Uh, Oh, here are two demons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, in popular culture of the past sixty years, two of these just utmost. Horrors. Yeah, how much of the horrible stuff gets portrayed in the musical between uh, the relationship? Uh, Ike a lot. Yeah. yeah but okay. obviously none of yeah. Phil. Uh, we're, we're still, I need a Phil movie. <laughs> yeah, well, we had that one, that HBO movie, correct? Was, was it Philip Seymour Hoffman? Al Pacino? Oh. Am oh. I wrong? Or is that, oh, you don't Al- know Jack, those all blend together to me. <laughs> uh, we need a really good Phil Spector movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely still room for that. I mean, because, I mean, the songs themselves, come on, Ronettes. Mm-hmm. Timmy is waiting. Yeah. Give him a few years. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have a show for you. I would describe it as a gnarly show, based on what we're getting into. Is it? We're talking about the SAG Awards, mm-hmm. which I'm very disappointed yeah. in my union. Oh, yeah. This is going to be all you, Lewis. I happen to have been at the SAG Awards. One of the organizers reached out to me and he said, I know you have a syndrome where you care about award shows too much. Would you like <laughs> to go to this one? And I say, I have a problem and we'll go. Oh, you just went. I did. I, wow. thought, you, I thought you were working. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I thought, no, you, no. Were. I thought you were working like the carpet asking people oh, questions you again like you did at see... the Oscars last year. Right, right, right. No, uh, I'm just living this time. Oh, you were just parlaying about. That's right. I was probably about 15 feet from Helena Bonham Carter. Wow. Well, okay. now I'm experiencing jealousy. Yeah. Before I was like, he's doing a gig. Now I'm just jealous. So, uh, <laughs> And I went with my most awards conscious friend, Patrick Rogers. Hello, Patrick mm-hmm. Rogers, if you're listening. Uh, we got drunk and he went up to Catherine O'Hara and complimented her on a dress so <gasps> dress? hard. She liked it, but uh, was clearly worried for her own safety. And I understand. Yes. This is now why Catherine O'Hara carries a gun. <laughs> 
Uh, we will also dive into the New York Times' endorsement of two candidates. Right. Does yeah. that count as an endorsement? Endorsements. We'll get into that. <laughs> Does it count as endorsement? I don't know. Uh, and then we will be joined by Lakeith Stanfield, wow, who's wow, wow. knives are not only out, but his gems are uncut. <laughs> the rare case. Yes. He is in both films. Wow. We Can't really t- hit the jackpot here. I, I know. We really did. With the Ira jokes. We're at heart center for Ira. Yes. That's the only reason we got Lakeith on the show is for this one joke. Of course. Yeah. Uh, we'll be right back. Well, award season is officially over. <laughs> In what way? J-Lo didn't win. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care anymore. She didn't win at the SAG Awards. It doesn't matter. And she is not nominated at the Oscars. Who cares? Wasn't it crazy that she only like flashed on screen at the SAGs once or twice? Yes. They don't was, care about her. I guess they not. They don't care. The actors who voted don't care, I guess. But I want to let you know, J-Lo, if you're listening... I voted for you. Yeah, I still care. There's I've, no way she's listening to this. She literally is too busy hustling. I'm not kidding. <laughs> she is. If anyone has ever hustled, it's Jayla. She's at the gym um, drinking from another blinged out water bottle mm-hmm. preparing for the Super Bowl. Right. Vibing with an elliptical. I can see it. Maybe they'll give her best actress at the Super Bowl. Just like <laughs> create that ceremony. The first annual Super Bowl awards. <laughs> I wonder how psyched she is for the Super Bowl after the... Oscar snub because it sort of felt like everything was in line for her to have right. just this like uh, you know massive hyperbolic mm-hmm. uh, pop culture lift and like I mean we, we're still into J Lo but she missed this key element now she's probably like she, she don't have time for this shit she's sharing it with the Shakira too right yeah she's like I guess <laughs> Pepsi <laughs> I would love it if she played the she wolf in their Super Bowl performance together. I doubt that they will share the stage. <laughs> no, no, they got to do something. Will. I really? think they might come together at the end, but I don't really think that they'll be on stage together. Oh, guys. Doing you don't think together? a beautiful liar thing is going to happen? With come on. who? I know. I think, come on. I think Beyonce would send a cease and desist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee that. On vegan paper. Yes, but the SAG Awards happened on Sunday, and Lewis, you were there. So, right. what can you tell us? Well, first of all, like all very cool people, I got there extremely early and stood around for a long time. What time? I mean, the what was the ceremony? Was it five? I think, and I was there at like three oh one. Anytime you attend any event in Hollywood, um, just letting the listeners know, uh, if you are not an actual famous person who is walking down the red carpet before the ceremony is about to start, you are told to expressly get there like three to four hours before wow. it starts. And then you will mill about and get drunk. Yes. <laughs> Specifically on themed cocktail drinks. I had, I think. There were themed th- yeah, cocktail I drinks? I had three or four palm shells. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is, Put it together. This is why we don't take the SAG Awards seriously. I know. Right? <laughs> palm shells. Come on. Do you think the Golden Globes has themed cocktails? Oh, no. No. The theme is just vicious drunkenness. Mm-hmm. The There's just a pot of alcohol everybody sips for. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what other ones do you remember? Oh, God. What else? Uh, I mean... Mm. Also, what's in the palm shell? Yeah, also very you to pick the palm shell and I not know. know the rest of them. It was very uh, vodka-oriented and, of course, fuchsia. Yeah. You know. It uh-huh. was just like... It sounds like a pomegranate juice or yes, something. Yes, you've got it. Okay. 
it was just the most emasculating drink to hold, which mm. of course meant it was delicious. Which you held it five, six okay. times. I held Beautiful. four at a time. Four, yeah. yeah. Grew hands just to have another palm show. It's like Adele with the Grammys. I was just yeah. overcome with them. <laughs> you looked cute, though. I saw photos. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I love your little suit. I've worn that suit on two different game shows now, Good. and I'm hoping nobody puts it together. Yeah. Just my friends on one. Keep It can know. Yeah, well, <laughs> Yo, yeah. some Lewis stands are in their basement piecing it together. Right. Getting into this ceremony... One of the best things to happen, of course, was the Parasite win for Best Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. It was lovely seeing all of them on stage. However, none of them were nominated in individual categories. Exactly. Which was weird. You know? It was like, here's this big moment. We love all of you. We love this movie so much. This is so important. But not important enough to nominate any of you individually. And by the way, the performances are smashes. Yes. I mean, as as comedy performances, as dramatic performances, as a little bit of horror, you know. Yeah. As far as like the SAG awards and the nominations, does that come from actors as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then I wonder if it's like a recognizability thing that they just are like, we don't know the people in Parasite. Right. Still right. quite literally foreign to them. I'm not trying to justify it. I think it's messed up. But yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like SAG Awards is a lot of, like you said, really name recognition. Like, mm-hmm. that's why Morning Show yeah, that's is why. nominated. Yeah. As opposed to, like, at the Globes, right? This is like, oh, we got to give this to Jennifer Aniston. There also is a... She came uh, all the way here. I know. <laughs> we have to do it. There is a sense of fraternity among actors, too. Like, I feel like the people who win are just generally well-liked. Like, you can't yeah. tell yeah. me, like, you know who's a horrible person? Tony Shalhoub. Like, I, I just know. don't believe it, you know? I know. Man, I, but Jennifer, I hear he used to murder people on the set of Monk. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a show that ran, like, 175 years secretly. And I watched every episode. Did you really? I loved Monk. Oh. Wait, how many seasons did it have? I think it only had a few seasons. But, but he won, like, three times he in a row. He won three times. At the yeah. Emmys. The show, for some reason, felt perpetual. I remember yeah. it was always on when I was a kid. Right, right, But I right. don't remember... It having a long story arc. <laughs> no. Monk was on for eight years. That's what I thought. Eight seasons. <laughs> yeah. Eight seasons. Uh, really? Yes. Yes. It was, How dare it I was wonderful. Loved him. Loved Sharona. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. What happened to her? Bit of Shram. Don't know. Yeah. She was funny. Yeah. When the Parasite cast appeared, by the way, everybody like stood up, applauded for a yeah. long time. And that was kind of a good feeling because going into the Oscars, I think now we're sort of set on this battle between 1917 and Parasite. Mm-hmm. And look, I really enjoyed 1917. As I said before, two-hour video game, a beautifully realized, a beautifully colorful World War I picture. But I think if you were a time traveler from about 10 years ago, you might say to yourself, in about 10 years, there'll be a video game-ish 1917-type movie that'll feel really immersive. It just feels to me like a movie you... That would have happened anyway, that it felt inevitable. Whereas Parasite to me is one of a kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even as you're watching that movie, you can't predict where it's gonna go. Well, so it feels I'm like way cinema. more yes, I'm it, way more rooting for that movie. Parasite is cinema, you know, and nineteen seventeen is a wonderful piece of craftsmanship. Correct. I would say. A prestige blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, it's not a green book. No, you know? oh no, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's not oh my I, God. what's what's weird well, Joker. Uh, aside from Joker, there's really nothing that's nominated that I'm like, wow, please stop it. And mm-hmm. even with the inevitability of Joaquin Phoenix winning, I'm just sort of like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, his speech uh, about Heath Ledger was mildly touching. Really, I'm standing here on the, the shoulders 
of my favorite actor, uh, Heath Ledger. So thank you and good night. I was going to say, guys, he nailed that speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He toasted all of the actors he was competing with and spoke to, like, growing up having to audition roles in the world of Leonardo DiCaprio, who was, of course, the it teen actor for all those years. It felt vulnerable. It felt really funny and also not super scripted, yeah, which is unusual. Yeah, I feel unusual. like Joaquin usually comes off to me as, like, contrived. Like, he's really trying to have this I'm a elusive actor role, but I really think this time I was like, okay, this is earnest yeah. for mm. once. <laughs> and I es- really liked it. And especially compared to Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Yeah. Uh, you know I love Brad. Mm-hmm. I love my dad so much. <laughs> uh, I am really sort of over this rambling speech tour he's going on, like, referencing his exes, referencing his addiction. Um, mm. What are we doing here? That speech in particular, so Brad Pitt, of course, won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I gotta add this to my Tinder profile. <laughs> I want to thank my co-stars, uh, Leo, Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie's feet, Margaret Qualley's feet, Dakota Fanning's feet. Seriously, Quentin has separated more women from their shoes than the TSA. Had so many jokes in it that, to me, felt pitched. Which is to say, and I've been thinking about this ever since the ceremony, who was writing the jokes for these people? Yeah, Amy exactly. Klobuchar's team you think? Uh, <laughs> is doing pitching for Brad Pitt. Because, uh, by the way, we don't have enough information about the Brad Angelina situation for him to make jokes comparing himself to his character and about how who we maybe, both don't get along with our wives. Like, that's so weird. murdered his wife in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, by right. the way. <laughs> and also, there were allegations of maybe abuse, at least emotionally and verbally, uh, if not physical, with the Angelina situation. Yeah. So maybe we shouldn't be making jokes about that. Right. It felt very cavalier to me. Suspicious. because Angelina doesn't. You know, like yeah. we really only have, this is marriage story. She's this is busy. what's going on. She's busy, okay? Mistressing of evil. She's probably <laughs> shooting Maleficent three, three, four, and five back to back right now. <laughs> She's like, I'm not taking the headpiece off. Let's just get them all now. <laughs> Let's just get them all right now. Speaking of the speech thing, uh, I do wonder about that because... If some of you don't know, people do write these speeches for people sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah but also, I mean, like, we both have friends who have ghostwritten uh, celebrity Twitter accounts and stuff. Yeah. You yes. Know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I ghostwrote a speech for someone giving a, like, prestigious award to an actress that we all love. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. I'm not going to mention it on air. But, um, you know, just knowing that people do that and when you sometimes see a heartfelt speech, it doesn't mean it doesn't come from the heart, obviously, because speech writers exist for a mm-hmm. reason to put a person's thoughts on paper uh, so that they can just adequately deliver what they want to. But just add it, structure to it. Definitely. It does feel like someone is in a writer's room giving Brad Pitt jokes. Right. It just it felt to me like jokes I would write if I were writing for Brad Pitt. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I'm using the information that's available to me about you, but there's nothing there that felt personal like he was actually volunteering new information about himself it was like know? he was delivering a snl intro yes yeah you are exactly right that is exactly what it felt like uh, i will also say that i am exhausted with brad pitt and jennifer aniston i could never be tired again no nope. I'm, I'm sorry i i can't <laughs> I, I can't it. i can't do this so you, i can't do this so aida you were you were in on this i love the game i love this so much I'm why still, i'm why? still i'm a diehard for i after mr and mrs smith 
was the downfall of my my hope and love for romantic relationships. I love Jennifer and Brad. They can never do any wrong to me. See, I am always shocked when I remember that big team Brad and Angelina was not the most popular thing Mm -mm. at the time because I love Angelina so much. And I never really cared about this maybe Brad and Jen will get back together thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I find it obnoxious. Well, I feel like the continuing love for Jennifer Aniston is weirdly due to the fact that she is too good an actress that we literally, like, our brains are too small and we think, oh, she's life's rom-com star. Like, yes. yeah. like we think she's that thing because yes. she's so good at doing it. Yeah. When really, I mean, she's given plenty of interviews over the years. She's more elusive now. But we don't really know this person. We don't mm-hmm. know much or what about she her. Wants I, just, I know that yeah. I'm painting stories around them. Like Angelina Jolie is in my head, and I know I'm wrong. The seductress, this kind of person who, and it's easy to vilify her for that. But I put, I'm painting Jennifer as this damsel in distress character. Yes. Like I, I, I know I should stop, but I would love to see them get back together just so I can. You know, my mom and I can celebrate. Well, it's just <laughs> rude to see you attacking a fellow black woman like Angelina <laughs> Jolie. Uh, but I will say that that is sort of right in the sense that I feel like we know more about Angelina Jolie just because of her relationships, right? Billy yeah. Bob Thornton. And she was just very much a public uh, polarizing figure before she got together with Brad. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer, we know her mostly because Friends was on every week. Yeah. And so people associate Rachel Green with Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. And I don't really know much about this woman. I I barely know anything about her past relationships, right? Because they just sort of existed. Yeah. And then when they would end, we didn't really know anything about them. And like when she was with Justin Thoreau, for instance, they were never like out publicly all the time putting their relationship in our faces, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it just feels like the continuation of horny bloggers' obsession with Jennifer Aniston because as someone who worked in sort of celebrity blogging when I first started out as an intern at, like, Radar Magazine and Page Six, I just remember even, like, 2007, people constantly still obsessed with what Jennifer was doing, insisting that she was either lonely or insisting that she was being cheated on or insisting that she was longing for Brad. Right. And I'm just like, she must be tired of this narrative. Right. Also, I think this particular SAG-oriented gossip thing that we had over about Brad and Jennifer the weekend is owed to the fact that we didn't put it together that they would be at the same ceremony. And like nobody predicted, oh, of course they would run into each other or they would have to see each but other. But I think they did because like people were pressed for that at the Globes and people were actually talking about the fact that they could have both won that night because mm. Jennifer was nominated mm-hmm. at the Globes. Right. But she didn't win. Um, and the SAG Awards are what gave us the drama because, of course, other actors wanted that. I'm still rooting for Brad Pitt to get back together with Julia Lewis, so don't even start with me, okay? I feel like we only play this romance game with, like, old celebrities, older celebrities that have been, you know, written about in the tabloids in such a way that is um, definitely misinforming. Like, I was reading the Daily Mail about, like, the articles about this, about what's going on. It's like, oh, my God, they're finally yearning to get back together. But I really don't see them talking about newer actors like that. Do you feel like that's died down? Well, definitely nobody has replaced Brad and Jen, I don't think. I don't think there are successors to them. Mm -hmm. It's mostly because that form of celebrity culture has, to some extent, vanished. Uh, We don't 
really invest that much in celebrity romances, if only because mm. it's Instagram now, right? We, yeah. we can see it. There's no mystique to a relationship the way that Jen and Brad were. And also Jen and Brad were the most famous people in the world when they were together. Yeah. And even current celebrities who are younger now, it's like they're not global superstars. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Unfortunately. No, yeah. I, I just don't have the same hunger for Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra. No, I really don't care. <laughs> you know? like she wants us to. I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, any lingering thoughts about the SAG Awards and what it might mean for the Oscars? Oh, well, first of all, Always awesome to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge win something. Yeah, uh, she's sad. good at winning. This is the end now. I know. Right? Like, yeah. there, there are no more uh, wins for Fleabag. There's no more trotting out of Hot Priest. Right. Very sad At least about for that. a while. Also sad about Jodie Comer not winning anything. Her performance in Killing Eve is one of my favorite performances, I think, ever. That was such a good Emmy win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, by the way, I will say... That you know what was disturbing to me again getting this award show early. So like the plates were all out with like the paella and carrots on them. Okay. And so I just was walking around, and you just see like a nameplate that says Meryl Streep. I'm like, I'm looking at Meryl Streep's paella and. Bitch, I would have taken that. I, 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 I it was one of those. <laughs> I would have licked it. I, I, I became like a psychopath. I was just like, what can I do with this information and these carrots so that I can be with? Them? I don't know. It's just it's like, like you're a nurse, Betty. Yeah. yeah. Y- yes. <laughs> Speaking of Renee Zellweger, who won? Uh, 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 I would have been Ariana in the donut shop, like just a little tongue <laughs> on the pastry, and like Meryl has to swallow me. <laughs> <laughs> that seems so obvious in retrospect. Yeah, now you I should have should have done that. But it's weird to see Meryl Streep at an award show in which she barely participates or is just in the audience and mm-hmm. not winning anything and yeah. losing to The Crown with the Big Little Lies cast. Yeah. This is a side note. One question. Have you guys seen any like kickback against um, these titles still being called like male supporting and female supporting? I don't know if I've ever seen anything about it, but now I'm looking at it and realizing. I feel like among Oscar bloggers, there's a lot of conversations about eliminating gender categories yeah. just in general. Um, but I after understand. this year, but then I fear with the Oscars, yeah. <laughs> good luck getting a woman nominated. We'll no. just have yeah. No, all you, actors will be men. Let's continue to force people to vote for women. Sorry, I don't. Yeah. I don't mean to get rid of that at all. I'm not yeah. rooting for that. But I feel like that's the context in which people talk about the named uh, gender-oriented categories. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, Eugene Levy and Dan Levy looked fantastic. Yeah. Let them host something next year. Yeah. The Emmys. We have the honor of presenting the first award of the evening. That is true. Very exciting. Male actor in a comedy series. Male actor in a comedy series. And and how awkward would this be for you if I was nominated and you had to announce someone else as the winner? Yeah, that would be very awkward. But fortunately for me, you're not nominated. Good. Good. (laughs) Yes. Dodged a bullet on that one, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually will close this conversation by saying the SAGs remain underappreciated uh, because obviously they're not the Oscars, they're not the Golden Globes, they're just like second tier to them. But it's all star power and it's so swift. That was two hours and not a moment wasted. It yeah. really was like a good telecast. Yeah. It's a testament to how much you can rely on actors and recognition and just zip through a ceremony. And mm-hmm. I feel like. The Oscars could learn something. Yeah, right. Yes. They're streamlining Uh, a little bit with this no host thing, and I hope that doesn't last forever, but you're right. Yeah. Coming up, we talk Knives Out, Uncut Gems, and more with Lakeith Stanfield. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? 
when you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. How's your day, man? It's all right. Just getting started. So you were in Knives Out, which I fucking love. I talk about Knives Out all the time. It's actually his entire brand. It's you so think ridiculous. like it's not just that he brings up Knives Out. It's that we 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 can't get off of Knives, knives Out. out. <laughs> knives been out. The knives are out. <laughs> uh, I just like Ryan Johnson a lot. Um, yeah. What was that like working with him? Because you cool. talk you talked about like um, that was one of the first movies where you were sort of like the only black person on set too. Um, but you wanted to work with and learn from other people on that set. Yeah, it was cool. You know, there was a lot of people that had been in the business for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think that was more importantly what appealed to me, mm-hmm. um, the fact that I might be able to pick up some gems from them. But, uh, yeah, it's um, there's always a little strange uh, cultural difference, when, especially when you're in the hair and makeup trailer, when... Uh, you're the only one with your hair and, and skin tone, you know, mm-hmm. oftentimes it becomes interesting navigating. Um, but the experience was quite all right. I'm not a big fan of um, the cold. Um, we shot in Boston, so that was not that fun. But <laughs> um, other than that, it was quite lovely. You talked about wanting to pick up gems from people. Were there any that you remember from any of the actors that you want to take forward? I think from Jamie Lee Curtis, um, just, uh, you know, little things like calling your hotel room ahead of time and having everything set out in the way that you might enjoy so that way you don't need to scramble when you get back. Little things that I don't really think about, but her being in the game so long was able to provide uh, little just, you know, hints and tidbits here and there. I feel Mm -hmm. like everybody is just not only obsessed with how funny that movie is, but just the vibe of the ensemble of actors. And when you... We're filming that movie. Did you have a sense like people will immediately connect with us as a group? Maybe when I was like sitting back uh, behind the scenes and talking to everybody, we just everybody was funny and smart and had um, just this chemistry we seemed to all have. I mean, I think we all had a level of not give a fuckness, which <laughs> I think uh, allowed us 
just the freedom to bounce off of each other. Everybody was funny, and um, I guess that, that to that to some extent meant that we might have some kind of chemistry. You and Daniel, especially, are very mm-hmm. funny bouncing off each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've seen him ever be that kind of broad and crazy in a movie. That foghorn, leghorn. Yeah. Yeah, I (laughs) I don't know that I knew he had it in him, frankly. I was really impressed with Daniel's performance in that movie. Jamie Lee Curtis in general strikes me as pretty not give a fuck priorities right in a row. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then bouncing off people, too, uncut gems. You know, Mm -hmm. you're working with Adam. And what's that like him just sort of taking on that serious persona? Because I feel like we usually see Adam and we think of like, jokes 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 yeah for some reason there's this idea that comedy and drama converge at some point in a way which i don't really see i think they're actually more closely aligned than people think sometimes you know comedy tragedy is kind of the same in a sense and i don't think that this role is serious i think it's more sincere when you watch howard go through his struggle and problems his life to him is the most important thing in the world Whereas us watching it kind of unfolds as, uh, I don't know, this sort of train wreck that we're cringing <laughs> and don't want to um, see happen. And we're sort of rooting for him to live his life in the way that we see probably makes more sense. Yeah, I think we all can relate to some extent um, trying to just get our shit together. And I mm-hmm. think that's what Howard's trying to do. How did the Safties approach you for this film? I met him. We did a couple general meetings. I met him in New York. And I don't even know if we met about this project in particular, but there were just some things that had floating around. They were fans of my work. I didn't really know who they were. Mm-hmm. Then I watched Good Times, and I was like, I want to work with these dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That movie is excellent. Also, uh, I just want to say about Uncut Gems, it's so rare that a movie sustains a level of anxiety the entire time. When you're filming a movie like that, do you yourself have to be kind of anxious? Do you yourself have to stress yourself out, basically, in a scene in order to make it successful? It was strangely stressful, some of the scenes. I think, especially in the diamond shop, because we Mm. were in such a small, contained area, and everyone was literally talking at the same time. I didn't understand how they were going to be able to get this audio-wise, because I'd never been on a set where that was okay. It was usually like we're doing audio, so we need everyone to get everything clean so that way we can edit but somehow they were able to piece everything together. And so, but I'd never been on a set where we were all just in chaos uh, pretty much the whole time. So it was interesting, but strangely for me, felt more natural than sometimes it can feel to be on a completely silent set and deliver lines and just feel the cold silence of uh, being on the set. So I liked it. I kept thinking about that during the movie because the overlapping dialogue, like, Again, I, I've never been in a movie. I, I can't say how this is, but just they obviously have to get things from multiple angles. So how can they even layer the dialogue like that? And it's so natural and, again, so stressfully real. You yeah. Know? So. And strange thing is, like, Benny, who's, um, you know, the Safdies are brothers and Benny and Josh. Um, Benny's always on the boom. I used to call him Benny Boom. He's on the boom mic, and he's holding the mic, and he's getting audio from different angles while also directing. So he's telling you, like, oh, well, yeah, you do that. You say that. Well, you know. And so it's an interesting thing to, I don't know, to be thrust into this guerrilla-style uh, filmmaking. Everything's quite raw, which is cool. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship like with directors in general? You, like, this was a different beast, but um, how do you tend to vibe with your directors when you're on set? Um, I think it's just a combination of things, you know. 
uh, some directors are far more effective at communicating with human beings in general. Um, <laughs> and so I think that makes it a little bit easier when there's a direct communication line. Uh, sometimes a little bit more difficult, and sometimes people go through other alternate ways to direct. I've had directors direct me through other actors, or they've had people come to me and say certain things and just to get a certain reaction. So I guess it just depends, but I think the best thing is just to develop a rapport with the actors so that way you guys know how to communicate with each other. So when we hit the ground, it's more like I'm going to play with my friend. It's just different ways to go about it. So I think I was introduced to you as an actor in Atlanta, course mm. and you know getting to see you do that character that was like kind of goofy but pensive you know and it was interesting um and then seeing you in uncut gems and seeing you in knives out i felt like those were very vastly different roles do you find yourself like most comfortable playing certain roles maybe that are closer to you and your personality of course yeah there's certain things that are written that appeal to me in a, in a way where i directly connect and i'm like okay yes i understand that completely there are other roles in which I'm sort of searching to find that, that part of me in the role. Or um, there's something that I feel that unlocks something in me that I'm not clear about what, what that is yet. Or there are conflicts that need to be revealed and things that need to happen in order for me to expand upon the, the analyzation of myself, as, which I consider to be a character within itself anyway, mm -hmm. you know, a persona thingy. Yeah, um, there are some more readily available to my experience, and then there's some that I need to sort of dig a little bit deeper to try and find my truth in it, you know? Yeah. What's it like watching these two movies, which are, you know, by the way, not sequels to these standalone movies that audiences have flocked to, Uncut Jumps, one of A24's most successful movies, Knives Out, a huge hit. What's it like watching them kind of go through award season or watching people continue to connect with both of them. And it must be a crazy feeling to be in two movies like that. I just feel like you, you like this is the Lakeith Stanfield like super moment, the mm -hmm. neon sign Lakeith Stanfield <laughs> time. From Atlanta to Get Out too. Like the choices at least that you've made have been like spot on. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, um we we try to take care of to filter out all the things that we get that we just know are just not really a good move. Mm -hmm. I have a great team that helps me sort of decide what the what the next thing might be. And in terms of having two things out at the same time, it was a unique experience that I, I mean, I just had never expected that I would have two movies out of the same. There were, there was a movie playing, and then there was an ad for another movie on the movie playing, and I'm in both of them. <laughs> I know. Every time I see a trailer, I'm like, oh, he's in everything. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was unique, and I was very, very grateful, and just like, wow, you know, this that work, you know, made this moment. Um, so it was special. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we yeah, we're just trying to make the best decisions for stories we want to see be told and be a part of that, you know, conversation. You know, as we do it more and more, we're more focused now on putting out things that are meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. um, whether Whereas before, it was just, I just wanted to work. I was just trying to figure out, you know, what where the next job was. But now I can kind of take my time and, you know, really just hone in and kind of tell the stories we want to see. And if you can do something to make the world better or something or think, that's awesome. And, and we wanna, we're interested in working in that you know, capacity. It's been really meaningful just seeing you as a black actor who gets to be in this space of just sort of being so versatile, you know, like the luckily the movies that you've been in have been so vastly different from one another. And even here as we're talking now, like the trailer's out for the photograph and you know, and it's mm -hmm. getting to see mm -hmm. you do a black love story, you know, and one that's not 
with emotional trauma or baggage, you know, um, heaped onto it. You know, it just you look at it and you're like, oh, these are just black people being in love. So it's it's mm-hmm. nice that you're able to also step into a role like that. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I agree, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do the photograph is because I just I wanted to just see normal love, like normal love between black people that isn't influenced necessarily by all of the tropes that we're used to seeing Mm -hmm. in these like love stories. I'm bored of watching the same thing, bored of seeing the same thing. I just want us to first be able to be human and then we can be seen as everything else. So Mm -hmm. now, you know, it's it's a tricky thing navigating it because on one hand, you want to be a part of stories that just look at you as a human. And then on another hand, you want to be able to tell your unique experience and so you're trying to find ways to balance that and find the representation at just the right tempo and bring it at just the right pace. So that way we're all being represented as much as we can. Um, so, yeah, it's a unique thing. And I think that people will find when they go to see it that it will speak to the core of their love, which is, I feel like it comes first before everything else. Mm. I mean, I love Stella. She's a she's a great director. Mm. And um, you worked with, Ava and Selma, too, do you find anything different in just a black woman on set leading things that makes it different from any other set environment? I feel immediately a sense of comfort, um, you know, growing up around mostly women. and um, I, I just love black women, so it makes it, I don't know, I feel like it, it feels at home or something. Like there's a family aspect that's there that I don't necessarily feel um, on other sets. Short Term 12, by the way, is a movie that sticks with me. I think about it often. Brie Larson's performance, your performance. I, there's, no, there's no movie that's like that to me. So I was wondering, what, one, what was it like making it, and how does it feel to you seven years later? Oh, man, that was my very first movie. It felt completely brand new. Uh, everything was brand new. I didn't know what a camera was, what a light was, <laughs> what a mark was, what anything was. And uh, it felt exciting and an exhilarating and a thing that I've always wanted to do and an opportunity to create some kind of music. Um, and I felt that to set the tempo, I have to dig deep inside or something, you know, so I kind of just retreated to my own self and, and stayed silent and waited till it was my time. And then when they said action, boom, then I would execute. Um, so it just felt like I don't know, like your first race if you're on a track team or like your first big fight if you're, you know, a fighter or your first big dance if you're a choreographer or something like that. So, you know, the butterflies were there and everything, you know, it was brand new. And when a project makes me feel like that now, I know that it's the right project to do, which my last project I just did. Uh, it doesn't have a working title right now, but it's about the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. Um, then I know that I'm doing the right thing because now it's evoking that spirit and the energy that, um, you know, that I started with, the reason why I started, you know. And that movie has, like, Brie Larson in it, and the director, Dustin Cretton, like, he's off doing, um, just at Just Mercy, but he's doing Shang-Chi for Marvel, too. Um, and I just wonder, since you're in so many things, I'm sure you've been approached to do, like, superhero things. Is that something that even appeals to you, or would it have to be the right type of story? Yeah, just the right thing, mm-hmm. you know. If Destin hit me, I might just come through, whatever he wants me to do. But, you know, yeah, you know. I'm not particularly interested in that unless it makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, just from what I've seen, what you've put out recently, cre- creatively, even on social media and stuff, like you're clearly a multi-talented artist. Where do you make time for working on music or working on poetry or whatever it is that you're doing to help balance out, you know, being in every movie ever? I don't really have that much time, but I try to, I try to make time for those things. Um, I don't like to really not do anything. I like to work. I like to stay working because I just get destructive if I'm not working. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of my therapy or something. So if I'm not doing a movie, I'm always in the studio or I'm writing or something or dancing or making silly videos or something. Um, so, yeah, I just always need some way to, to get it all out because uh, i got a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. In creating art, who inspires you? Like people that are interested in operating from a place of what I call just rawness, like truth, like, you know, just straight from the gutter type mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I come from that. I like when we're when we're deriving our truths from places that mm-hmm. uh, come from like blood and sweat and tears, you know. So people, artists that do stuff like that, I think are inspiring to me. And yeah, I mean, I know you like the Death Grips and I like them yeah, a lot too. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting to see that you were really into them as a band. Uh-huh, yeah, totally. Uh, I feel like everything they do in the music and the movements are just raw and grounded in their idea of like what their focus and truth is. So that's like that's one of my like favorite musical acts, and that's the reason why. Do you have a favorite? I, I, I'm still thinking of you on the set of Knives Out, just looking at people, <laughs> the other actors. But just in general on a movie set, do you have a favorite time you just were watching another actor and they did something unexpected or weird or that you uh, took with you? Yeah, um, hmm. I, I, when I was watching Tony Collette. I knew it. Uh, <laughs> I knew, knew it. it. <laughs> knew it. <laughs> yeah, who is amazing and brilliant and beautiful. I wish we had, we had more scenes together in the movie because she's just so inspiring, and I mean, in many, many ways. She's just weird, but weird in like a really raw, like, I don't know how to explain it, natural way for her. Like, it's her thing. No one else could do it that way. And when you're watching it, you're like, why did her eye just flutter like that? And then later you see... <laughs> that it just added so much to the just subtlety of the performance. <laughs> so it was people like her, people like um, Michael Shannon on the set as well. One of the best. Love yeah. him. Yeah. Who I just couldn't tell where the character started and he started or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he was just off set. He was doing the exact same thing. And he was like walking with the cane. I was like, is he all right? And it was just part of the set. I mean, part of the character. Uh, so, yeah, it was, like I said, working with a lot of those people who just, just OGs in the game was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, before we go, speaking of just OGs in the game, is there anybody that you still really want to work with since you got into acting that you haven't had a chance to yet? Denzel, I think I want to work with him at some point. I think um, more Tony Collette. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I support both of these choices. We support both of them. You, Denzel, and Tony Collette. Let's just make <laughs> that a comedy. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. When we're back, we'll dive into the New York Times editorial board's non-endorsements. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. 
Ashley for the love of home. In an odd move and quite polarizing, the New York Times editorial board has endorsed not one, but two candidates for president. Brave? Mm -hmm. Question mark. (laughs) Cory Booker and Cory Booker? (laughs) (laughs) Roseanne Uh, again. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Biden and the man who is running his animatronics. Yeah, his puppeteer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Pete Buttigieg and a stripper pole. (laughs) That's such a crazy story. I wonder if it's true. I mean... There were <laughs> notes that there were no visible stripper poles at the Abbey when he did his fundraiser, mm-hmm. which is wild to me. Pause. But Please tell course, me what you're talking we're about. We're oh. referring Please. to um, Chastin was supposed to be doing a fundraiser for Pete at a gay bar. Okay. And, In Rhode Island, I believe. Yes, and canceled the appearance allegedly because there was a stripper pole present. And, and that was information made available to us by the club itself. By the club itself. I uh, love and that. And there's been no comment from this is the not campaign media news. on okay. it, which there were reports on okay. it. Um, outlets reported on it, but there's been no comment by the campaign because I would just what ignore would they it too, say? to be honest. What, what could you say? You know and I feel like no one's going to talk about it outside of gay media outlets or a brief story anyway. Like it's not a story that straight people really care about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's super unfortunate is he only would have gained votes, I think. Right. I That's feel not the like same bad way. press for him. Yeah. yeah. To be near a poll. I mean, it's, it is a gay club. Like there are only yeah. so many gay specific locations where gay people meet. Yes. You know, anyway. I mean, it's funny. Exactly. I, I don't work in politics, obviously, yes. but it, it does strike me as. Kind of silly. And stripper yeah. poles are like the foundation columns of gay bars. Yeah. <laughs> that's all they are. That's the architecture of yeah. gay bars. Ionic, <laughs> Doric, and Corinthian <laughs> stripper poles. <laughs> that's it. I guess it gets into that whole thing of, you know, like speaking to the gay community as the candidate, mm. um, which we're going to talk about this in his interview in The Weekly. Mm. Um, the idea that a straight candidate wouldn't have to go to a bar, I guess, to interact with people while they're running for president. Mm-hmm. But a gay candidate would be expected to. Yeah. I well, guess. How about a gay candidate gets to be at a bar with a stripper pole? That's <laughs> what I have to say. True. Anyway, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar were the endorsed candidates, and the announcement was made at the end of The Weekly, the television show that brings viewers a behind-the-scenes look at the New York Times herself. Uh, <laughs> they also released an op-ed, the Democrats' best choice for president, outlining their reasons for picking two. And they detail the divide between the two wings of the party, which are Warren and also Sanders as the liberal idealist and Klobuchar along with Biden Buttigieg as the pragmatic centrists. And they deemed Liz and Amy the standout choices. Uh, However, in doing so, they may have oversimplified a much more complicated often media-generated narrative that Democrats are deeply divided. Let's first talk about The Weekly, this show where they made the decision. It is certainly a choice coming off of electing a reality show host as president in 2016 to then create a reality show hour where you're basically deciding who America's next top Democrat 
is. It is Truly. No, it, it's certainly a choice to make a subpar episode of Shark Tank about <laughs> the upcoming election. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to set the scene, they had Warren, Klobuchar, Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders, and also Booker sit before the New York Times editorial board and basically explain their case of why they should get the New York Times endorsement. And then the editorial board announced an endorsement at the end of it. And it definitely was a subpar episode of Shark Take. It was insane to me. From the jump, by the way, because Bernie is the first person that they interview and drastic he, choice. He drastic clear, first he, choice. He clearly has no fucking time for anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, what is this? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. And I was wondering that while watching it too. I was like, what the fuck is this? And why <laughs> do they all agree to do it? That's something yeah. I mean, I mean I guess it's like a mass thing. If the one's doing it, I'm sure all of them would, but it was so uncomfortable. And also, how many cameras were in this room? <laughs> so sheer, many. I mean, you were getting so many camera angles. It mm-hmm. I mean, it was like you were in the social network yeah. or something, yeah. you know? And talking about how the media has been driving all of these insane narratives lately, the Sanders versus Warren, the thing today now with um, Hillary Clinton saying that um, nobody likes Sanders uh, and she doesn't know she would support him if he were the nominee. Mm -hmm. Uh, This feels like it was something designed to get Twitter feuding. Right. Well, also, I mean, to me, what it felt like was just all two truncated conversations about each candidate uh-huh. and what ended up being sort of shallow questions about perceptions about them. Just like, well, Joe Biden, you are old and Bernie yeah. Sanders, you didn't have a heart attack. You know, I felt like these sort of uh, namby pamby questions about uh, uh, just who they were that and, and like I didn't feel like they were given ample time to answer anything qualitatively. You know, it could yeah. have been a perfect response to the debates, which I felt like have been overcrowded and you haven't really come away from a single debate feeling like you've known any candidate better. Or learned anything. Yes, because it's just been people talking over each other, being asked dumb questions that are also sort of like leading towards a Fox News audience, weirdly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this, obviously, they did longer interviews that were made shorter, but the questions that they did show were absolutely insane. I don't think I needed to hear Pete respond to the Mayo Pete memes about him. Yeah. Uh, People call him Mayo Pete online because he's white and bland. Yes. But did we need to ask him that in a show that's about the New York Times editorial board picking a Democratic candidate to endorse. Mm-hmm. Also, no shade to the girls at New York Times, but what credibility does the editorial board have over just being people who are used to having opinions? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, why should I be interested in what the people, these, like this slew of people think about who should be our Democratic candidate? And also, it's just, it's extremely weird to have this primetime looking special leading up to a big decision that they ultimately don't make. They, yeah. Yes, they exactly. ultimately didn't make a decision. And there's so much talk about the history behind the New York Times uh, endorsement. Yes. Mm -hmm. It feels like, one, they have not been doing the endorsement like this before. I'm sorry. They're like, they open it with saying, this is the first time it's being made public. I doubt that in the past they were marching every candidate in there and basically interviewing them for a chance to get their endorsement. Right? Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this seemed very contrived and silly. And 
I, I just felt like really disappointed in some of the candidates for going along with it, I guess. Disappointed in the New York Times for continuing to act like this is something that was really worth people's time. I also yeah. specifically, like, after they interview Joe Biden, like, the conversation they have when he leaves the room was so lame. I mean, like, they they would say things like... You know what? I I had the impre- I was worried when he came in here that he'd be doddering or something along yeah. those lines. Mm-hmm. And he was he was really sharp. It's like, do you think anybody out there was literally like, oh, he literally can't put a sentence together? Yeah. It, just, yeah. it felt like completely disingenuous. Being excited about Andrew Yang like leaving, they're like, look how excited he is. Like he's definitely a person that you'd want to hang out with. I was like, what are we delivering here? The part about Biden that was so weird to me was the question that came out of left field asking him have you ever had your heart broken yeah uh, right oh my god and then the zoom in on him yeah. as he's talking about his son and his wife and his daughter i was like what the fuck is this it it, it truly the whatever music was playing or wasn't playing stopped zoomed in on him mm. like he was delivering an oscar-winning monologue straight up whatever ben johnson in the last picture show talking about the <laughs> life he's led it was very strange and also took up too much time in this 51-minute thing they put together where we're supposed to learn about the candidates. Yes, and of course there was Warren who initially told them too, like, I'm not going to sit here and attack Biden, which is that what was, they yeah, wanted. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. by the way, was the best part of the yeah. whole thing. Her being like, actually, I reject the premise of that question. Yeah, mm-hmm. they reject the premise of this entire ordeal that we're in. She and Bernie had that sort of similar vibe. I did enjoy the part where he said that he is not a happy birthday person. He is not the person who's going to remember people's birthdays and call them and say happy birthday so they write nice things about him. Mm -hmm. And some people's faces. (laughs) That was kind of funny. At least he's being honest. But then, by the way, in the actual... um, Endorsement. Non-endorsement that Mm -hmm. came out, what they said about Sanders to me was infuriating. They said, three years into the Trump administration, we see little advantage to exchanging one overpromising, divisive figure in Washington for another. Come on. Yeah. You're really going to lump him together with him over the words overpromising and divisive? I mean, that's pathetic. Yeah. The sort of narrative that's swarming around Sanders is unfortunately shifting a lot of my perceptions of the last election and also this current one. I think there is a way to talk about how there are some very awful Sanders supporters online who are divisive, which you have for many candidates, by the way. Yeah, there's a specific Uh, Bernie brand, and there always has been. Yes, Yes. there's a specific Bernie brand, but also do not get in the way of someone, um, a straight woman from the Midwest who has decided that she is voting for Pete Buttigieg, (laughs) uh, because she will say some things to you. This comparing him to Trump is sort of dumb, and it's an endorsement and also a knock against him. Uh, And it feels like it's further fueling the we need Warren and Sanders to be fighting with one another. Mm -hmm. And then the addition of Klobuchar is weird to me. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Uh, I would compare Warren to the movie Marriage Story, in which I would say, uh, I think as you're watching her, she makes good points, is very compelling. But then later you talk to your dad about her and all he remembers is yelling. That's not uh, a knock against her. I mean, I, I think Amy Klobuchar is a, a kind of fascinating, odd person to be in the race this long. But mm-hmm. it, I, I just, nothing that we saw in the broadcast to me 
indicated that the New York Times should pick her based on what yeah. we saw. The of thing course. with Amy, Amy hasn't repulsed me in any way, but she hasn't attracted me in any way either. So oddly enough, they ended up picking the two women on each side and then kind of posing them against one another. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really feel like an endorsement as much as it feels like, okay, here's some new drama that we're stirring up. We endorse both of them, but then we still are going to divide them in a certain way. Yeah, and they framed it as, here are two different futures we could have. Yeah. <laughs> there seems to have also been this intent to make sure that their endorsement was a woman. Yeah. Unfortunately, because it seemed like they had a choice with Warren, but they're wrapped up in the idea that it's idealistic. And because they were presenting all of these different sides in basically a television show, they wanted to also present an alternative. Mm. And it felt like they were like, well, we can't do a Warren and then also endorse a man, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had to endorse another woman in Klobuchar. Uh, the, the entire ordeal just felt very cynical to me and very manufactured. And so I don't trust these endorsements. I don't find them useful at all. Uh, and not like we've ever really found like the New York Times endorsements super useful. Yeah. I mean, it's not the 1840s, <laughs> but this really just sort of drove home that they're really useless, mm-hmm. and the media has sort of continued to generate just drama where we don't need it. Mm-hmm. When we're back, keep it. We're back with our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it is Keep It. Woo. Hi, Lewis. Hi. You look like you're ready. You're I am, I am arguably the readiest. Yes. My Keep It is to the rumblings and gossip about a potential follow-up to the Jeopardy Greatest of All Time tournament, which starred the three undoubtedly greatest Jeopardy players of all time, who are Brad Rutter, who had not lost a tournament up until this one where Ken Jennings uh, was victorious and, of course, James Holtzauer, mm-hmm. the menacing and sinister 32-time champion of recent memory who truly, truly changed the game. It got massive primetime ratings. It ended up being four games long. It was the, They did it as a tournament where the first player to win three games won the whole thing, and Ken Jennings won three and the ratings, I mean, it was something like it would double the next highest thing in prime time. Just people were obsessed with this. And for that reason, we do not need a follow-up. Truly, <laughs> these are all, all three of these people were at, I think, the, the peak of their abilities. Really, uh, Brad Rutter, who usually is a dominant player, fell behind in this game. But it's because he wasn't as good to adjusting to James Holtzauer's style as Ken Jennings was. And for that reason, I just don't want to see these guys in 10 years doing this again when they're not as good. Mm-hmm. You know, Ken Jennings has said, like, he, he wasn't sure he would be at his prime. He, his games were in 2004, um, his main games, his 74-game streak. Um, it was such a pleasure to watch. The categories were so obscure. Mm-hmm. The knowledge went so deep. I loved all the final Jeopardies. There was a great uh, Shakespeare question that concluded the whole thing. I just don't think it can be topped. You just have to pitch them on a totally different trivia show, and that I would watch. Also, I'm done seeing the comfort of them having jokes and platitudes while they're answering questions. I don't need to see those men right. be friends. No, <laughs> right. get out this of my face. This is vicious, face. please. They're too comfortable. They're too comfortable. You want blood. Yeah, I want fighting. I want Aida, fighting. Uh, what is your keep it? 
my keep it is kind of a three-part keep it, I'm sorry, but the first part of it goes to there is a Japanese-run but French fashion company called Comme des Garçons that recently did a fashion show where they put their white, um, their white models in cornrow wigs. Mm-hmm. However, the cornrow wigs looked like scully caps. Like, they were put on so horribly... One already offensive. See, I, I was just like so distressed by this uh-huh. because you know I stand comme de garçon. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, um, was there no black person on set? No one doing hair. No one, no doing, one doing makeup. Hair. The lace no fronts were bad. The, the, and also the line didn't even look good this exactly. year Exactly. Yeah, the line so, didn't look good. Something rotten in the state of comme de garçon. <laughs> so that's the first part of the keep it. The keep it is to them deciding to put the cornrows on. Second part is... Their whack ass apology afterward when yes. they were like, Oh, we just did it to honor Egyptian gods. Like, we weren't really thinking. Those are black people. And, like, it seems like any way I try and justify it and go, Well, maybe they're doing an homage to black culture, whatever. They put the caps on deliberately bad. Maybe it's mockery of white, <laughs> white people. Like, I'm really trying to justify this for Comme de Garcons, but it seems like any way you attack it, it's some type of, like, mockery of black culture, using blackness as a gimmick. People never honor black culture with using actual black people to do it. Truly. I still remember that Vogue Italia um, cover that was famous for having all black models in it. And Mm -hmm. then, uh, lo and behold, all the photographers were white. All the photographers are white, and then all the black models look like white people with black skin. Yeah, so... So that's the second part. Third part is, keep it to me being offended by this stuff. I'm just done. Like, I'm, I need to have better coping mechanisms to these white institutions. Okay. But only for me. Not for the world, but only for me. Because this shit can't keep frustrating me every day. This happens every week. Okay. Uh, well. Your turn, your turn. My keep it is to Perez Hilton being a contestant on the Australian reality TV show, I'm a Celebrity. What? Get me out of here. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you have heard of this before, but uh, there, there was an American version briefly and uh, like Heidi and Spencer were on it before. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner was on it okay. uh, when under the name Bruce Jenner. Okay. Uh, so it was that long ago that it aired on ABC. But <laughs> this show, one, in the title it says, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I know it's always like D-E-F-list celebrities who end up on this show, but Perez Hilton is not one. He's not at not all. Not a celebrity at all. Um, he's sort of a um, parasite. Uh, just speaking of the word yeah. of the moment, uh, parasite when it comes to celebrity culture, and there are clips online of him on the show talking about how fame it just sort of like warps your reality, and it can be so hard to be so well known. And like he talks about his feud that he had with Lady Gaga and how damaging that was to him. And I was like, bitch, you spent years just sort of like tearing down celebrities' looks. Mm-hmm. Um, really just sort of torturing them to propel yourself to fame. And now the idea of you sadly talking about fame on a Australian reality yeah, show. Yeah, that's how far he had no to go. Because no one is booking you here <laughs> uh, is not only pathetic, but just absurd. Down under, that's how far he had to go to yes. get any type of fame. Yes. I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a Naomi Campbell shirt, um, and I'm thinking about her quote about the – Icons party mm-hmm. where Nikki and Cardi got into that fight, and she said, "Well, it was called the Icons party, but there were there weren't any icons." Uh, this is called "I'm a celebrity, get me out of here." And where is the celebrity? There's no celebrities. Where is it? Exactly, Perez Hilton. I just remember reading his website when I was younger and being like, "I've made better things on MySpace than this." Yeah, the layout hideous, just disgusting. I'm sure it still is. Does he still blog? 
Huh? Does he still blog pretty consistently? I, I, I don't know what Nobody she does. Knows. Nobody know knows. know if she sang or whatever. Or still breathes, <laughs> truly. Don't know if she blogs. Uh-uh. Live journals. <laughs> TikToks. High fives. My spaces. Stay in the jungle, to be honest. Stay, they, they put them in a jungle. Um, and that's why they're like, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Just, just, stay just stay. In the, stay in the jungle. Don't come back. Bye, Perez. Cancel that visa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, I want to thank uh, Lakeith Stanfield for being here this week. And um, keep your knives out. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess. The one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.